Hi, everyone. Welcome to 100 Gatherers podcast. And this is episode four. And we have uh, myself again, Philip Koo, and Techwin Lim, my co host. And uh, today we have a very, our very first guest, our very first guest, our guinea pig, you could say, mm-hmm. uh, Ivan Tacey, joining us from England. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome to the program. Yeah, we were already chatting before we, we started. So I don't know, let's just continue on uh, where we left off. Maybe uh, maybe just a brief intro, um, Ivan, as well. for everyone. Okay, no problem. Well, thanks for inviting me along, Phil. I'm Sequin. Really appreciate it. So I'm currently in the UK. Um, and I'm a lecturer in anthropology at the University of Plymouth. I completed my doctoral studies at the University of uh, Helsinki in Finland under the supervision of Kenneth Salander. Okay, and before that, I did study for my master's at the University Lumiere in France. And from the master's level onwards, I've been working with uh, the Batek of Malaysia, so in Pahang and Kelantan. Sometimes I go into Trendani, but not not really very much to be honest. Um, I've also worked a bit with Jahai and Menrik groups. Um, in Kelantan and Perak. Um, And so my research, um, well, my doctoral research was all about, um, it was entitled Animism and Interconnectivity, uh, Batek Life on the Periphery of the Malaysian Rainforest. And really what I was interested in my doctoral research was how these, these multiple connections that Batex have, not just with the forest and its animals and plants and the spirits that they believe um, live in the forest uh, and in other parts of the cosmos, but also their interconnections with the outside world, okay? So um, with, with tourists through, um, through um, anthropogenic change, like the conversion of forests to palm oil estates, which is one of the, you know, the biggest issues today, mining, um, but also flow, media flows. So, um, you know, how, how technology has impacted their lifestyles, you know, how they, um, how they interpret past events um, and contact with outsiders and contemporary events. So I'm, I was particularly interested in, in what we call animism, which is their religious, um, it's a kind of indigenous people's religions are commonly known as animism, and that's this kind of belief in spirits. So how that's transformed through all these multiple interconnections. Yeah, I I read your paper in um, Malaysia's Original People, Right. Yeah, yeah, it was a great paper. And um, maybe just to, to clarify for some people who aren't familiar, those are the Perak, um, it was a Terengganu, Pahang. These are all states in um, peninsular Malaysia. And uh, these are also the, the some of the people that um, Tekwin and I have been speaking about, and we actually know some of the same people. Mm. So uh, how did you originally, uh, how did you originally become interested in this group of people? Right. So I've been interested in hunter-gatherers, particularly what we call egalitarian hunter-gatherers, um, all, all over the world. So um, you've got groups in Central and um, West Africa, Southern Africa, Eastern Africa, like the Hadza um, in okay. East Africa, Khoisan in Southern Africa, um, various pygmy groups like the um, Bayaka, Mbuti um, of Central Africa, 
um, then actor from the Philippines. And um, I'd actually, back in 2006, I was going to do research in Central Africa. And then a war uh, broke out uh, in the Congo. And then, so obviously I changed where I was going to do my research. And I knew Malaysia, I could speak very basic Malay. And Batek seemed to be a very similar kind of group. So I immediately decided to start work with them. And that's how I, how I began field work, really, in Malaysia. That's interesting. And, and why hunter-gatherers specifically, especially the uh, immediate return egalitarian hunter-gatherers, why did they interest you? I mean, that's why we're doing a podcast and they interest us. So it's very interesting to hear your perspective. Right. Well, I think that in, in the world we live in today, a lot of people make various kind of assumptions about, about humans. And one of those assumptions is that humans are kind of naturally selfish. We, we naturally live in hierarchical societies and so forth. And the existence of these egalitarian hunter-gatherers sh- shows us what a myth this is. You know, this is part of, um, in the current day, this is a kind of global capitalist system which has normalized things like greed, selfishness, social hierarchies, particular relationships with the natural world and so forth. And too many people just assume these are normal. You know, these are, this is how it must be. But um, groups like the Batek or the Mbuti or the Agta, the Khoisan, demonstrate that, no, you can have an egalitarian society. And when I use the term egalitarian, I mean gender egalitarian. So men and women are, are equals. You don't have rulers, okay? You don't have what we call in anthropology corporate descent groups, so very demarcated groups where power is transferred down vertically. Um, all, the, all these things, you don't, they don't exist. But that's not saying they're lacking something. In my understanding of how this works, in some ways you can see modern capitalist societies as a very simple, brute use of force, whereas amongst these egalitarian groups... They've got extremely complex rules and things to keep everyone in a, in a kind of state of equality. Yeah. So that's what that's really why I'm so interested in them. And I'm hoping, you know, that they can teach us a lot about, you know, how best to live in the world, if you like. Absolutely. Tequin, feel free to jump in anytime from the um, spaceship you're on there, it looks like. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, uh, thank you, Ivan. One thing that I found very interesting about your work and something that Phil and I would, wanted to discuss with you in particular is the attitudes of the Batek towards conflict resolution and uh, in particular how they tend to avoid violence. Mm. Yeah, I, I know you've written several papers about this and uh, it's something which... Uh, well, like you mentioned, it, the world, the modern world, seems to be uh, have this huge tendency of uh, towards violence in, in so many different forms, hmm. and uh, it, it's one of the, the particularly interesting things about the, these egalitarian hunter gatherers is the way they uh, we, they tend to be able to resolve conflicts without having to resort to violence. So, um, yeah, maybe you could ex- explain a bit about, um, about your work on violence. 
Okay, right, it's a big question, okay, so I'll try and go through it as logically as I can. Um, first of all, groups like the Batek, but the other groups that I've mentioned, these egalitarian or James Woodburn, a very famous uh, British social anthropologist who worked with um, Hadza in Africa, he will call them immediate return uh, hunter-gatherers, okay, which kind of means you don't store food and things. That's one thing he makes out to be very important in the, in the maintenance of egalitarian relationships. Um, but they all tend to be have very low levels of violence, okay, and, and, and very good mechanisms for dealing with conflict, Okay, so amongst the Batek, just to explain things for listeners, you know, domestic violence is almost in existence. You don't have male on male violence like we see in lots of other groups, you know, not even amongst the really kind of high risk groups like young men kind of aged between anything from 15 to 30 or something, which in lots of societies we see lots of sporadic outbreaking of violence. Um, they avoid conflict at all costs, if you like. Um, but this isn't to say that they've never encountered violence. And in fact, like the history of indigenous peoples worldwide, but, even, but amongst the Orang Asli, Orang Asli right up to the early 20th century were kind of preyed upon, if you like, by outside groups. So um, Malays, Thais, Rawas, Various other groups used to come in through the into the peninsula and then raid Orang Asli uh, groups for for slaves. Okay, and these tended to be um, either very very young people and and women. And when people would when these kind of Malays or Rawas or Bateks, and they tend to be tended to be not local Malays but Malays from from um, beyond the peninsula actually would come and do this, and. Um, and then they would kill all the men in the villages uh, or camps, and then and then take young women, okay, and 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 other and other younger people because they thought they could be more easily tamed, okay. So there's a history of violence. So Bateks, uh, like Matt Merry, which is another Orang Asli group, Temiar, Semai, all these different Orang Asli groups, Aboriginal groups of Malaysia, they've got countless stories about how um, various camps or groups were either completely wiped out or where people escaped from slave raiders and so forth. And I think in some ways, alongside this kind of, these rules that they have against nonviolence, I think this probably in the Orang Asli case, or Batek's case definitely, almost even exaggerated that so much further. So there's just this intense horror, if you like, of violence. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing but like I think the important question one of you asked was about conflict resolution so Batex like lots of these other groups are, are, are highly mobile populations so they move through the forest in small groups again they'll stay in a place collect um, plants and hunt in the local area and then and then and then move on somewhere else. Um, but when the, the, the membership of these particular groups is not fixed, so um, sometimes these groups could number just say six to 10 individuals, for example, or it could 
go up to maybe 30, 40 people, sometimes in, during the fruit season even more. But when people, let's imagine we were living a, in a group, us three with our families. And let's say me and Tech win, we kind of started irritating each other somewhat. Before that could evolve into a conflict, one of us would probably just say, oh, I'm, I've decided to go and join that camp over there. And he, one of us moves to the other group. And even before that, imagine we're really just slightly irritating each other. We might just move our shelters in the forest to slightly away from each other or facing a different direction. So you, you do all these very tiny little things to minimize conflict, yeah? Another thing Batex have explained to me lots of times is, okay, you, you cannot, it's taboo, if you like, to insult people, to be rude to someone, to shout at someone. But even beyond that, even to kind of think something not very nice about someone is taboo, yeah? So it's very, um, there's a lot of pressure to, to maintain peaceful relations, you know, and if you if you if you show any sign of anger, let's imagine we're again we're batex now. Philip starts getting angry with one of us. That not only puts us in danger, a kind of cosmological danger, you know, danger of uh, becoming ill or having an accident in the forest, if you like, but also puts himself in danger. Do you follow me? So there's all kinds of it, they're maintained through day-to-day -day lived social relations maintained through historic experience, which has kind of backed up this, this kind of abhorrence of violence, but also through cosmological force, if you like, you know, fear of what would happen if you, if you do something violent. Maybe uh, a huge storm will erupt and, or a, a, a big flood will emerge from the ground and destroy your village. So people do everything that they possibly can to maintain peaceful relations. It's very interesting. And um, there's, there's similar uh, mechanisms in other immediate return hunter-gatherer societies uh, yeah. that, that uh, sort of mimic the, um, or are similar to the ones that you just described in the Batek. And I, I think one thing that I like to, um, that's something that I think about often is how people tend to think of hunter-gatherers as a very primitive, simple people, but they've taken uh, this innate human intelligence and created this these 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 mechanisms to to reinforce egalitarianism something that tends to as far as i've read uh, in terms of primatology and so on that and yeah that primates tend to at least uh humans and other uh other primates tend to want feel feel um bad, feel anger when there is an imbalance of power or resources or so on. So these, these cultures have developed a way to mitigate conflict, to uh, diffuse conflict and also, um, yeah, create a, create a, a, a functioning day-to-day uh, -day life that um, mitigates these, these conflicts that, that will arise naturally. Yeah, and like you said, you know, that people stereotype them as, or especially in past, as primitive, simple mm -hmm. society. It's extremely complex what they're doing. Because if you, if you look at uh, other primates, okay, then besides from bonobos, which are pygmy chimpanzees, yeah, virtually all the other great apes, uh, they have these hierarchical societies, okay? So once um, 
bonobos, it's things are slightly different. They tend to have an enormous amount of sex, okay, all different kinds of sexual relations, and they have pretty resource-rich environments, okay? Um, and so, and if you, if you look at other human societies, non-gender egalitarian societies, whether these are pastoral societies, agricultural, industrial, post-industrial societies, you, you get these hierarchies and you get more violence, okay? Um, so I think it's absolutely amazing um, that, that how they manage to keep peacefulness at such a level and keep egalitarianism. That's something really super difficult to do. And if you think about it, kind of, these hierarchical relations that are normalized in other societies are um, a kind of, uh, it's going backwards for me. I think, you know, this, the, the difficult thing to do is to maintain peacefulness and to maintain egalitarianism. That's what's complex, yeah? So maintaining violence is not so difficult. Maintaining hierarchies is not so difficult. Yeah, so I think they've got it back to front with terms of simple and com complex, if you like. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, are there any specific incidents that you can remember of any conflicts that arose and you, you witnessed some of the, the, the resolution? Uh, you mean internal conflict? In, yes, internal. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. Okay, I can give you one example. So, um, a friend of mine... Um, I wondered, a, a, a Batek friend of mine, okay, I wondered why, he, he was a really nice guy, okay, and I could see that other Bateks that I knew didn't really talk to him much, and then they would make a few sn uh, snarky comments about him now and then, so I always wonder why he's treated slightly differently, and eventually, after a couple of years, I got to the bottom of the matter, and it turned out that he had been in love with a girl, okay, um, who I knew, and also another young man was also in love with that girl. And then she chose the other guy, okay? And when that happened, my friend, I'm not going to name his name, okay, he got really upset, he shouted a bit, and he ended up taking his own guitar, smashing it and throwing it down a river, okay? But because of that, he was treated differently for for at least two, if not three years, yeah? And um, they said, there's something wrong with him, you know, what's, he's crazy, what's he done this? But I mean, compared to examples of anger that you, you guys must have seen manifested in the UK or Malaysia, it's nothing, you know, he was, he, I think he kind of had a right to be upset in, according to Western logic or English logic, you know? But for Batex, no, no, he'd gone totally over the top and he'd, he hadn't shown uh, restraint and he'd acted improperly. So he was kind of semi-ostracised, if you like. But then after a few years, that's a long time, a few, a few years for this poor chap, then things normalised and it all worked out okay, you know, and he married uh, another girl and so forth. But that's one example. Um, and I can tell you another example. And the thing was that was quite difficult in that place. That was in a resettlement village. So again, the mechanics of maintaining peaceability and egalitarian relations and all kinds of other things are disrupted through mm -hmm. resettlement, of course. Um, second example is also from a resettlement uh, village. Um, so there, it was another couple and um, 
they actually started arguing quite a lot. And I think that the husband might have even been uh, drinking a little bit, which in Batex generally don't uh, don't drink alcohol okay and uh, and they've done very well to avoid the problems that some other orangasli and indigenous peoples worldwide have had when encountering alcohol you know most batic villages people simply don't drink you know they it's really frowned upon anyway this guy was drinking a bit he tended uh, to argue with his wife and and did shout okay and then the neighbors obviously living near him didn't like it, but because in a resettlement group village, you can't just simply easily uproot and set up somewhere else. So that created a few conflicts, but eventually someone gave up their house for someone else and so forth, and people moved around and it sorted itself out, if you like. And that guy ended up leaving the village. In fact, his whole family did move to a different village. Um, but these kind of issues are much harder to... Um, to kind of manage when life has been disrupted by resettlement. Okay. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And then, uh, I, I, the, the, I love the guitar story. I think that's yeah. hilarious. And because I, I smash my guitar every time, uh, Techwin doesn't reply to my messages. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the- very yeah. I mean, and how much have you had to drink when you smash your guitar? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to point out too that, uh, that no one really does well with alcohol. I mean, we, we tend to see, think that we, we, we in these uh, hierarchical societies who are non-indigenous people can handle alcohol, but it's it's alcohol is the coping mechanism to live in these uh, in civilization. There's a great essay I wrote uh, read by um, uh, anarcho primitivist um, Kevin Tucker, and he he made the point very clear that uh, alcohol sort of arises to to uh, break up the uh, monotony and and uh, and toil of of settled life. Mm. I mean, yeah. yeah, I've got uh, a story about alcohol and then another question for uh, for Ivan. So I was working with this group of Tamiya, and Tamiya are not really hunter gatherers; they're more Sweden farmers. Very and, too. and this group uh, in Para, they had been settled down by the government, and they were given. Uh, seedlings of rubber and they had quite extensive rubber plantations that have been established for maybe 20 years or so and then the price of rubber went up and what they told me is that they started to have a lot of excess cash and there was this one Chinese merchant who would visit the village fairly regularly and he would bring he would bring alcohol he'd bring like crates uh, lots of crates of beer and so for the first time in this village's history there was um, a, uh, a problem with alcohol and the alcohol got to the extent where it almost it, well, it had been unheard of there was rape there was um, yeah the fights mm. which uh, had never been previously and so I, so my question for Ivan is that well why do you think it is that the Batek uh, some uh, compared to some of these other groups because like alcohol is a problem real big problem in places like Australia and and even in Malaysia especially in Sabah and Sarawak the, um, the indigenous people there have got quite big problem with alcohol but it seems that not just the Batek but also some of the other hunter-gatherer groups of the peninsula such as the Jahai and uh, um, and others don't uh, 
really have a problem with that. Well, I think that actually I have seen drinking amongst some other groups that you mentioned there. Um, it's it's not like the whole village drinking, but there's there's various villages quite close by Batek territories where I've seen people drinking and a few problems that happened there. I think it's because the Batek were well aware of problems that other groups had encountered and through pretty good leadership, I think, in, in different villages, okay, um, and people thinking, well, we don't want to go down that route. We don't want to have those problems. Um, so they were resolved quite quickly. And they're actually in, for example, in Kelantan, um, in the village of post there were other indigenous peoples who had ended up, they'd been working in the village, maybe on construction to school or something. They'd seen how they didn't have these problems of alcohol and they'd asked if they could move into the village and they did. You know, so I think that Batex can be particularly proud of that. And that's not to say that, you know, no one ever, ever drinks. I think the last time I returned, no one was drinking, but the time before, maybe one or two, maybe three people were, but they stopped, I think, because it was so, there's this kind of social pressure, if you like, you know, people think, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? You know, and, um, and then people realise, well, I don't really need it, you know, and we don't want to end up like that. You know, it's extremely difficult to do, particularly if you, if you end up very depressed. And people have good reason to be depressed, not just in Malaysia, okay, but in indigenous groups in Australia, in, in the Americas, whether we're North or South America, all over the world, because of this land rights issue, you know, where they see their homes being ripped apart by bulldozers, converted in, in Malaysia into oil palm or rubber or mines, in South America converted into land for cattle or... or, or, or um, Reservation or, areas even now. Yeah, it depends. Yeah, in some areas, in some parts, particularly in Africa, we've seen lots of areas converted for conservation and indigenous people banned from their own territories that mm-hmm. they've managed for thousands of years, you know? So people are depressed and they've got good reason to be depressed. And as, as we well know, alcohol some is a kind of, it's not, a, it's not a solution, but people often turn to alcohol in situations like that, you know? And in fact, outsiders often encourage them, like this Chinese fellow you mentioned. You know, we've seen that the British um, or, you know, the Americans, the Canadians used to de- deliberately give uh, groups alcohol or tobacco or whatever to get them hooked on, on, on different products so they could treat them differently. You know, that's part of colonialism. You know, it's a real colonial attitude, isn't it? Absolutely. If for anyone that's interested to, to learn more about that, the, I can only recommend the essay Hooked on a Feeling by Kevin Tucker. He goes into this very... Uh, very in depth and uh, very many. Um, he mentions very specific um, places and uh, w- amongst the Kungsan, amongst the uh, the uh, the fur traders in the um, French Canadian fur traders yeah. and so on. Very interesting and and also I'd I'd like to point out that alcohol um, that the the Batek at least the, the few times that I've been there they don't need the alcohol to have fun to have a yeah, good time. Exactly. They're having fun all the time, as long as, you know, there's no conflict and the conflicts, you know, they have the mechanisms to resolve them. So as long as the settled life isn't <clears throat> too monotonous and too much, uh, that's too, um, let's mm. say, uh, deteriorated, then um, 
they're able to have a good time. Whereas people like us, I, I remember when, when my friends started drinking alcohol initially, I, I was, I was very, um, I didn't, I didn't drink until much later, but, uh, it's like that was required to let loose, right. To, yeah. to, to get rid of the, um, inhibitions and, and, uh, and just have a good time. That's a really good point, Phil. And can I just comment really briefly about sure. that? Yeah. So I remember when I started my field works, this back 2006, 2007. And, um, you know, I used to go to the pub. In, I was living in France, go to the pub quite regularly back then. And so I was drinking, you know, every week, you know, not copious amounts, but, you know, I was drinking tree. And then, you know, I went, first time I stayed, it was about four months in a, in a Batek village in Kelantan. Of course, I didn't drink any alcohol there. And I didn't miss it at all. Why? Because like you say, people knew how to entertain themselves. It was extremely gregarious social life. It was a lot of fun, people telling stories, people making music, just all this social interaction, which was great fun. Um, and it was intergenerational, you know, people, older yes. people teaching young people things. And it was, it was just a marvellous action. You just didn't need alcohol, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really important point. If you think about how well at the moment okay it's slightly different because we're locked down but let's imagine it's not locked down but even in the in a normal situation i'm living in a house in england with me my wife my two children yeah if i want to see friends or family you either we go out somewhere or invite them here but it's kind of quite formal isn't it if you think about how hunter gatherer life is structured you've got very small dwellings which are opening up to the world so most people are spending a lot of time sitting around the front of their shelters or 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 huts you know and social life is just there happening all the time you know um so they know how to be social do you see what i mean whereas we we, we, everything's different here things are extremely formalized you know what would we do if we want to go and see people we go to the pub maybe we might go to a restaurant we might invite someone but it's not the same as this day lived reality of constantly being interaction kids running around all over the place older kids looking after younger kids older people teaching younger people things everyone keeping an eye out but not in a strict manner on other people's safety, but people being left to do what they want is extremely high levels of autonomy, individual autonomy, which is not the same as individualism at all. Yeah. So um, I think that they're, they're what we call in anthropology now forms of sociality are very different than, than English or Malaysian or French or American, whatever forms. I, I don't I don't drink much uh, except when I'm doing these podcasts. So uh, I've been drinking uh, because they're so boring, right? No, but <laughs> no, I think it's absolutely this. This topic makes not. I mean, hunter gatherers fascinate me so much because, like you were saying, um, there's always constant social interaction, and and we need that as a, as a, our biology. Our, our we we require that, and the. The uh, another thing that alcohol allows us to do here in in this settled life is to um, engage in sexual activities, which I think there's so much uh, complications and stigma around here. But I remember another story um, that I won't name names, but one of the Batek men uh, asked uh, one of the um, people. I uh, she recounted the story. She said one of the one of the Batek men just said, just matter of just very frankly, uh, without much. Th- uh, 
you know, I guess, uh, would you courtship or something? Would you like to go to the forest with me? You know, which means like, would, would you like to have sex with me? Uh, and that was it. And w- she said no, and it was it was all over. It, the whole. But how does she know that he wants to have sex with her? At least that that's that is a good question. That's a good question. But she, at least what what she told me was that that's what they've been told. This is what how they approach the subject. Maybe you have more information on that. I'd, I'd like to. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I I I don't know. I mean. Uh, <laughs> Maybe uh, it was like, would you like to go to the forest alone with me? I think that's how uh, she Maybe there's it. some kind of nuance to it, I would yeah. imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I could see Tech Wynn was thinking a lot when we were chatting before. <laughs> thinking about Tech Wynn. Yeah, well, they've never asked me that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, I, uh, th- uh, th- there are a couple of interesting points there. One's uh, this uh, question about sexual relations with outsiders and mm-hmm. and alcohol and fun but i'd like to get back to to the question of alcohol as a taboo and uh, which i i found um, I, th- I think if we can go into that slightly more detail and if we can connect it to religion because many religions have this uh prescription against alcohol and that the this this question of whether the Orang Asli have a religion is actually the, the official line in Malaysia is that they don't have a religion, yeah. and uh, I wonder, Ivan, whether uh, how you would describe that, uh, and whether or not they have a religion, and also whether the religion would have uh, anything to say about questions such as uh, um, alcohol. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a difficult question. I mean, the re- Batex, I mean, how can you say it? All Batex are different, yeah? There's no, there's no dogma, okay? Religion, if you think of Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, whatever, uh, it tends to have a kind of a written text uh, which has got lots of stories in, and lots of rules in. So those stories, you know, if you read about Noah, for example, Noah is an important story for, for Jews, Christians, and Muslims, you know. Um, uh, you can read that, and it's fixed in paper, yeah? Bat X, and you have all these different stories about creation, of course, in different religions, and you have then these different rules, okay? You can do this, you can't do that, yeah? Batics have nothing written down, nor do other hunter-gatherer groups, yeah? And so, and stories as they, you know, as they circulate, vary, you know, they're not always the same, okay? Um, So there's no particular story that I know of about alcohol or the interdiction of alcohol, for example, yeah? Um, But, uh, well, that's what I'm saying, in terms of religion, yeah? Um, Batics... The ones that I've spoken to about this, people will say, if I ask them about, let's say, the afterworld, yeah? Often in books, like, you know, it'll say, the Batex believe um, in an afterworld that looks like this. And, and in these descriptions, for example, in Endicott's work, it says it tends to be a, quite a barren place where you've got these large, um, almost like warehouses, which contain singing platforms, and you've got these spirits. And when you when you enter the afterworld, you become 
a kind of creator being, a halat asal, your, your blood is replaced with cure, um, pure, um, like Jew, if you like, immortal Jew, and you're given this beautiful, youthful body, and you sing, and you don't no longer eat, to eat, and so forth. However, when I've asked Batex about the afterlife, quite a few people simply said to me, well, I don't know, I'm not dead. I've never been there, yeah? Um, similarly, when I've asked people beliefs about spirits, okay? So, you know, one thing is, you know, there's... Uh, Amongst most Loring Astley groups, people tend to be uh, tend to talk about a thunder, what's often called a thunderlord. Gobar uh, is the Batek name for him. Kai or Kare is um, a word used by other Batek groups, and um, Samai and Temiar. There's various names, but this thunder deity who can punish people for breaking taboos and an underworld ginormous kind of dragon-like being called, you know, Naga, yeah? Uh, who can cause floods and things by their writhing. These are the two really powerful entities that can punish people. And most people I've spoken to, you know, almost everyone seems to believe in these two forces, yeah? Um, however, there's lots of other spirits. For example, a mountain might have a spirit associated with it or a hill, particular animals you might encounter in dreams. Okay, so for example, if you dream of a turtle being, if, uh, if it's a male dreamer, he'll tend to, if he encounters a turtle being or a, or a siamang being or something like this, he'll encounter it as a member of the opposite sex who's very beautiful and will, they will teach him songs and... Uh, and maybe spells and various kinds of esoteric knowledge, if you like. However, not everyone meets spirits, you know. So if, if I ask somebody, oh, can you tell me what's it like about... Oh, I haven't met any, Ivan, you know. People are really honest. So it's this... People rely on the knowledge that they know to be true through personal experience, yeah? Not receive dogma, yeah? Do, 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 do you follow what I'm saying, Yeah. There's no pressure to to uh, believe anyone else's. Uh... No, there tend to be sets of prohibitions, for example, that groups roughly agree upon. However, even those, let's imagine there's, a, for example, the cooking of different foodstuffs together. Yeah, you tend Batek groups tend to not cook two things together if they're too dissimilar, and that dissimilarness, if they're too similar, sorry, so that similarness, similarity could be the color, skin coloring or type of being furry or something like that, or could be connected to the uh, particular micro habitats those live in, you know, treetops or, or a watery world or whatever, yeah? You know, so you wouldn't cook something from the water together with something from the treetops, for example, yeah? They're too, they're too different, yeah? However, these rules often, you know, they might be kind of conflictual. And, for, and people are like, oh, I don't know if we can cope that with that. So people tend to err on the side of safety. And, of course, maybe somebody tests it out. Oh, it was okay. There wasn't the storm. We can do that, you know. And if that happens a few times, people, yeah, that's fine. We can. Do you see what I mean? So it's through lived experience as well. Things aren't... I mean, you know, people obviously listen to their, their, their parents, their grandparents, their uncles, their aunts, their friends, and so forth. Um, but knowledge is not fixed, these fixed rules, yeah? So for me, they do have a religion, I would say, you know, but it's very different to uh, what we call world religions, you know, like, like Hinduism, Judaism, Sikhism, Christianity, Islam, so forth. 
Very interesting. I, I love hearing the details of it. It's so, it's beautiful. It, it is very beautiful. Uh, and, and hearing how just uh, the social mechanisms keep, uh, everyone takes in these data points, everyone takes in these uh, informations from everyone else and then makes their own decision. And that we do that as well. I mean, uh, part of the big reason people believe in, you know, uh, the hierarchical religion is because they want to fit in and mm. they, they, they've, follow the prescriptions of the, the religion so that they're not uh, judged in a certain way. And I imagine in some ways that is, uh, that also happens there. I remember being, uh, walking with Mayam, who's, uh, you guys are both familiar with, uh, he's, a uh, we've mentioned him on the program before and, uh, we were walking through, uh, it's quite leachy. There are a lot of leeches where we were and he, I was flicking them off and I'd read in Endicott's book that, um, you know, they, they, shouldn't make fun of or torture uh, leeches or anything like that. So I was being careful just to flick them off, which I, I think I read or heard that was okay. And he, he kept looking at me very carefully just to make sure that I wasn't, at least it, it seemed that I was, he's just making sure that nothing um, funny was going on. And he actually carved me a stick so that I could flick them off easier. Yeah. So I, I, I just like to bring up too, that one of the specific I think taboos that uh, seem to be uh, span more of the Aurang Asli world too is the uh, taboo of making fun of animals, different animals, mm. especially seems like small animals, ones that we would consider insignificant, the ones you could just burn with a microscope as a kid or something, or like a magnifying glass. Now I always found that cruel, but um, laughing at butterflies, I remember was one of the, mm. one of the things you shouldn't do. And it's interesting. I remember reading in, um, uh, Malaysia's original uh, original people. The, the it's a great book, and the the essays create this um, picture of the peninsula that is somehow it's it's like an integrated whole of different mm-hmm. parts. It's very interesting, and the the religion, so to say, or the the belief system spans different groups and different hierarchical uh, uh, from hunter gatherer to the uh, proto Malays even have a the belief in the similar deities and, and uh, taboos and so on. I don't know if you could speak about that or if Tequin has yeah. something that he wants to speak to. Yeah. Can I say something, Tequin, or do you, do you want to comment? Yeah, okay. So that's a good point about this kind of integrated system, you know. Um, I think one, I mean, anthropologists have a lot to answer for I think in you know it's a kind of it was a discipline forged during the colonial period and ended up coming up with some very weird ideas and things and one of them is this idea of a kind of bounded culture you know so people talk about Basset culture or Khoisan culture I don't go along with that idea at all you know um and that and that's whether we're talking about a small hunter-gatherer group or a nation state you know I don't think there's a thing, an English culture that stops on the border of England. Just think about Wales, Scotland, United States of America, Canada, New Zealand, France, all these places that share countless things with, 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 with Eng- the English, you know, or you can take any number of examples of nation states like that, yeah? Um, also, if you take that for the Batak, you know, you've got these people who are now known as the Batak, but right next to them, there are there's various different Batek groups, if you like. And it's nothing fixed. Like I said, there's no corporate membership, you know, to these groups. But just nearby, you've, 
you've got, say, for example, the Menrik, yeah? Men, Menrik are living, Menrik come from just north of the Batek, okay, for listeners who might not be aware. They've got very, very similar lifestyles, and their languages are extremely similar, and their religious forms are extremely similar, okay? So when Menrik join Batek groups, they tend to be called Batek Thir, okay? And that it's, it's micro differences. So, and then when you go on from the Menrik up to uh, the Jahai, again, linguistic languages does, does change. Like Batek and Jahai sound quite different languages. For example, in Batek, to say, I look over there, Yetok uh, Ba'un, I look over there. In Jahai, that would be Im El, and I can't remember how they say over there, it might be Ba'un as well, yeah? But it's it's different, you know. It's more it's as different as say English and German, or English and I don't know Italian or something like that. Yeah. However, as you move through a through a landscape, I think these and people people are moving, marrying in. It's not like Bateks only marry Bateks. You know, Bateks will marry Menrix, Menrix will marry Jahan, and so forth. So language is something that's constantly shifting. And linguists as well fall into the same traps as anthropologists. They, they look for these, they're using kind of arboreal tree-like systems to trace language back to origins and things like this. But of course, there's so much lateral transmission of, of words, of syntax, of grammatical forms and so forth. So for me, there is such a thing as human culture, okay? Um... Whereas I think humans are quite different than other animals, even though the lines between human and animal are being redrawn all the time, okay? But cultural, I tend to think it's better to use it as a kind of adjective, if you like, you know, cultural practices. And these are shared. So the religious forms of, of Bateks, Temiar, Samai have a lot of underlying similarities, even sometimes using the same names and things. Um, uh, you've got these food prohibitions, you've got rules against laughing at animals, rules against consuming things that the hunter's actually killed himself, rules about sharing and so forth. They're shared, but groups tend to kind of, like any human groups, differentiate themselves against others. It's not to say there's no difference, it's not to say all these people are the same, but it's not like Batek culture stops there or Batek religion stops there. I don't know if I'm going a bit too crazy in the theory here, so I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were meant we brought this up uh, uh, maybe the last time that um, I was with um, Um, and uh, we're they were listening to some audio uh, recordings on their, their their cell phones, and they're like, it was from the the one of the kampongs, one of the villages, which we would classify as uh, part of the. Um, same group so to say and they're like they talk funny you know that was yeah. their <laughs> yeah, exactly. different from us they talk funny so yeah and that's probably just a neighboring yeah. uh, Batek Tanum group or Batek Maya group mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and yeah they'll say they've got this kind of singy songy language or yeah. something like that yeah so yeah people that's very human you know say oh we're not like those guys over the hill they talk like this or they marry these particular you know you, you pick up on micro differences right. to differentiate yourself but that's exactly what um, Malaysians and Singaporeans do, mm-hmm. or the English and the Scottish do. 
or even uh, this side of town and that side of town yeah, it can of be uh, or those it can even get as small as uh, those people down the street and then the this street so it, it yeah. it's the uh, the gradient and the groups that are the most similar tend to emphasize those differences the most hmm. do you see what i mean you know that's that's uh, going there's been a lot of study into what we call ethnicity okay and ethnicity or ethnic identity for anthropologists most anthropologists would agree that it's not about the cultural stuff inside it's about maintaining boundaries do you see what i mean mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So frederick barth uh, um is he norwegian i think he's a norwegian anthropologist who wrote a lot about that yeah. Uh, don't don't worry about the uh, the social life going around you because uh, we're planning to also get some people from the village uh, on the program. Imagine all the sounds that'll be going on yeah, there. It'll be awesome. Yeah. Uh, Tekwin almost uh, had we almost had Um on the program, but uh, oh, brilliant! It didn't really work, but uh, we'll get it eventually. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. It's getting late for Tekwin. I imagine he's probably trying to get to sleep soon. Yeah. We should uh, wrap it up and. I'm sure okay. we'll have you, Ivan, on the program uh, many more times, hopefully. Oh, I'd love to. It's yeah. great chatting, yeah. I have so many yeah. more questions, especially about the um, the animism. Whenever I think we sort of got into the conflict revolution, resolution quite early, and there's so much more about the animism I'd love to hear. Yeah, we can come back to that another time. It's great to chat uh, about this kind of stuff. I hope I didn't... Um, Talk too much. Not at all. That's why we have you on. <laughs> Tekwin, did you like to say anything else? Yeah, I, I just, I, I agree. It was, it was a great session. The the one thing that I found uh, particularly interesting and uh, insightful was, was this idea uh, about religion that uh, I've pointed out that the it's because they don't have a written religion, they're adaptive. And, and so things like uh, uh, alcohol, it's based on the lived experience of yeah. the villagers who see that alcohol causes problems. And, and through uh, an, a, this adaptive kind of religious um, peer pressure, mm-hmm. they, they decide collectively, all right, we're, we're not going to, you're not going to drink anymore in the village. Yeah, so that, that that's, uh, sounds like a very reasonable way to to have uh, uh, to run a, a society you know, on a very egalitarian basis, and it, and it seems to be working, and which is which is a tremendous success story. I mean, you you have a look at their village from the outside; it looks like it's completely dysfunctional. There's rubbish everywhere, but when you spend a bit of time there, and you realize they don't have these kind of uh, problems, and they and as you pointed out, they have um, a generally quite a happy life. It, Mm-hmm. Uh, um, they, uh, if it wasn't full of problems caused to them by outsiders, yep. uh, then yeah, you you do have a lot, tremendous amount more respect for them. So I, I thought that was uh, that was a, a great discussion, and and yeah, uh, thanks for coming on. And I I uh, echo what Phil said about hopefully you uh, this will be the start of many more discussions. Great, so, uh, yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thanks a lot for having inviting me along. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, and, and we'll uh, put links to your papers if, they ha- if you have them somewhere online for people to read. Is that Yeah, possible? definitely. Um, I can send you, I think, you can know what would probably be the easiest is a link to my website. 
which is a Wix website. Um, so if you Google Ivan Tacey Wix, W-I-X, one of you two, and then you can find it. And then I think through there you can get most of my papers. And I can add more ones on if there's any missing anyway. And people can email me and ask me if they need anything. Great. It's, yeah. uh, it's been a pleasure, both of you. Can't Great. wait to do it again. Where are you, by the way, Phil? I'm in uh, Mississauga, which is a city next to Toronto in, in Canada. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, okay, guys. Speak see you. Have, have a good night and have a good day, Ivan. Yeah. All right. Okay. Bye, guys. Bye.